If you're anything like me, you spent your childhood assuming that one day you'd meet your Prince Charming. You'd get married, you'd have a nice house in the suburbs, a dog, a career, and a couple of kids. It never crossed your mind that Prince Charming wouldn't come along, or that tragically you'd lose him before his time, or that your marriage wouldn't work out, or even that your biological clock would have other ideas. Or maybe you never really wanted that sort of happily ever after. Maybe you never wanted a man, but you did know you always wanted children. We're living in an age where for the first time, women can embrace motherhood on their own terms. They no longer have to put their lives on hold waiting for the right man, or settling for someone who they know isn't right for them, just so they can become a mother. More women than ever before are embarking on the journey to become what's known as a solo mother by choice. And while for a lot of us it doesn't feel like a choice, but more a necessity, the bottom line is there are now options for you to be able to fulfill your dreams of motherhood if the traditional route isn't playing out as expected. The No Need for Prince Charming podcast will share stories of Australian women who have successfully become solo mothers by choice. They each have a unique story as to why they decided to pursue motherhood in this way and the journey they had to go through to make this dream a reality. The hope is that by sharing these stories, you'll have the knowledge and the confidence to embark on this amazing journey yourself if you determine it's the right one for you. In the words of Walt Disney, all of our dreams can come true if we have the courage to pursue them. All you need is faith, trust, and a little bit of pixie dust. In today's episode, I talk with Kaylee. Kaylee's in the Gold Coast with her beautiful nine-month-old daughter, Ottilie. She conceived Ottilie rather easily um, when you compare with other people's stories, but she had been through quite a road to get to that point. Her pregnancy wasn't without its hiccups, but then she went on to have the most beautiful birth story, and she went home in the early days and had great support from friends and family, which is so important. So welcome, Kaylee. Really excited to share your story today with all of our listeners. Just wondering if you want to give us a start, tell us a bit about you and why you decided to go on this journey to become a solo mum by choice. Yeah, thanks very much for having me. Hi, everybody. Uh, So a little bit about me. I'm 36 years old and I have a beautiful nine-month-old baby girl called Ottilie Rose. Uh, She joined me last May. which was, yeah, absolutely um, incredible for me. I was very excited. A little bit about me, I'm born and bred on the Gold Coast and have lived here my whole life. I did a a quick stint in uh, London, like many of us do um, in our early 20s before coming back and um, I guess kicking off my career. So um, I work in marketing. Um, I've worked across a variety of different roles um, here on the Gold Coast, uh, which is is pretty exciting. So I'm sure I know a lot of people um, that are listening here um, in this space. But um, I guess how I started off on my um, my solo journey was, um, I guess, probably similar to you, um, Alicia. Obviously, you wanted the uh, white picket fence and the perfect life mm-hmm. uh, with the husband, two kids and that gorgeous dog. Look, I have um, a lovely house. I have a beautiful dog. Um, but unfortunately, I did um, I didn't get a chance to meet my Prince Charming. I thought I did um, in my mid-20s. Um, I was absolutely in love, head over heels. And then uh, one day I was told that um, they just didn't have that gut feeling and um, oh. wanted to go their separate ways. So that was really, really hard. It really affected my mental health um, significantly. And I know I didn't date for probably two or three years afterwards. It just really affected me. I have no bad words to say about that person. He really is a remarkable person inside and out. Like I I, I don't follow him. I have no um, continued connection with that person, but I am still um, very fond of the person he was. And I guess um, after that time, I, I guess no one was ever able to, not necessarily measure up, but I just never got that same feeling as um, yeah. as what I had when I was with him. So I guess that's where I was like, okay, well, what do I do um, in terms of I'm desperate to be a mum. I'd love to be a mum. Um And I guess you go on on dates and you're like, oh, they could be that person. But I never wanted to put pressure on somebody to be like, okay, (laughs) Um, let's let's see if um, this can be something serious and um, see what happens in the next couple of years. Uh, With my previous partner, I um, had some health issues. So not that we were ever trying or anything like that, but I had, um, similar to yourself, Alicia, uh, precancerous cells on my cervix. So I had a couple of let's procedures to get those um, removed. Yeah. Um, so I probably had two of those, um, at, I guess, in my early 20s, mid-20s and early 30s. So 
it's um, something that you definitely start to think about. Um, I guess in your 20s, you're like, oh, is this going to affect my children? Obviously, after the second one, it means that your um, your birth can be um, brought on a little bit quicker. So from any anywhere from 36 weeks, um, you could go into labour just because your cervix is a little bit shorter. So I um, always like had... Incompetent cervix. I always it was the strangest yeah. term. <laughs> <laughs> it is. It's like, oh, they tell you all of these things. When you're in your 20s, you're like, oh, I'm going out and drinking. I don't want to think about, okay, how quick my labour is going to be when I'm having a baby. So um, that all kind of uh, happened. Um, but it was really interesting. So I, um, not to talk about my ex-partner too much, but when I was with him, we always talked about, I guess, setting ourselves up financially for the future. And we used to look at this um, TV show. It's um, a, a Canadian show, I should say, called Income Property. And it was always looking at how you can make money off your own income, off your own property. Yeah. Um, so um, after we broke up, I, I really thought um, thought about it. And I was like, okay, well, how can I set myself up financially um, as an independent? So I'm very lucky I have a house on a, a fairly large block of land on the southern Gold Coast in a okay. now very desirable area. Um, but I decided to then build a granny flat um, at the back. So it's very self-contained. It has its own backyard, its own entrance. I don't actually know when or uh, when my tenants are there and when they're not. So I decided to build that. And back in that stage um, as part of the build, I never really thought, okay, I'm going to need that as income for when I decide to have a baby. Um, but jump forward six years and yeah. it's definitely helped me um, when I'm on my maternity leave, I've just got that added security of additional income coming through. And then obviously now returning to work, I know that there is um, that security that if anything was to happen, I was made redundant, et cetera. Um, COVID was to, to impact my role. <laughs> um, I do have that, that added bonus, which um, for me was a really important thing. I'm a little bit OCD when it comes to making sure my life is in order. So um, I'm not sure if you were like that, Alicia, but definitely, okay, I want to get the house, I want to get the dog, we get married, we have the kids. Oh, yeah, there's definitely and, a plan. Um, but we're out that way. That's right. Yeah. Um, and so I managed to do everything else. I just am missing that perfect person. However, um, I always thought that that perfect person was going to be a partner. I never thought that that perfect person could be somebody I created, yeah. um, that, that other person that could really bring me so much joy in my life. And I didn't, I always thought I needed that partner to be able to have that person. So I, I apologize. I've jumped around a little bit there, but, um, to get back on track, I, so I, I created and built that kind of income property at the back of my house, which is amazing. Um, I went on a couple of dates. I, I fell in love, I guess you could say, or lust, um, again, um, a few years later, but it just wasn't the same thing. Um, that person was moving away and I was kind of okay with that um, to a degree. Um, it put me out of the comfort zone. I rented out my house, my granny flat, and I actually went traveling for six months on my own, um, which was terrifying. <laughs> I'm not sure if um, there are many females that um, can hands down say, okay, I'm going to pack up and put everything in storage and literally go traveling um, around the world on their own that's basically taking yourself to dinner it's like dating yourself it's um you can find yourself in kind of very uncomfortable situations but I really think that those situations are the ones that really make you grow and really make you work out what it is that you want in life um and, and what's important to you so I guess after that um trip so I was in my early 30s I was 31 at the time mm -hmm. I came back and was like all right now it's it's time to really settle down and focus on me and what's going to make me happy and the, the one thing that was truly going to make me happy was having a baby so um, I had my initial conversation with my GP when I was 32 yeah. um, just to get things I guess underway and and what are my next steps I kind of looked into um, IVF and what I needed to do but I'd never really had that conversation with a medical professional before and I think it's really um, a little bit daunting if you've if you've not I guess, really spoken about it out loud to a medical profession. You can talk about it with your friends, you can talk about it with your family, but then actually taking that next step is a little bit like, oh my goodness. But then once you do it, it's kind of like, 
oh, it really wasn't that scary. They just wanted a little bit of a blood test. Um, They wanted to make sure, I guess, mentally and emotionally that I was um, comfortable and in the right place um, to be able to move forward. So that first conversation was obviously chatting with my GP. He sent away for my blood um, my blood test. That's basically just to kind of check that um, everything's okay with my eggs. I've, I'm producing, um, that's the right word, producing yeah. enough kind of um, to, to be able to make, um, make a baby without too many complications. Uh, the next step was um, being referred to um, an obstetrician gynecologist and kind of fertility. So I'm really lucky where I am um, that my I was recommended to this particular doctor and um, he covers all of those areas. So he is an OB gynecologist and he is connected to a fertility clinic, which is for me um, kind of a blessing in disguise. It meant that I didn't need to speak to too many people and um Alicia, in your podcast, you mentioned how important it is to make sure that you feel comfortable um, with them. As soon as I walked in the door, I really did feel comfortable. Um, I felt like he knew exactly what he was talking about. He made sure that he ordered the right test. So um, that you first and a lot of time with them as well, don't you? Which I don't think oh you realise. Oh, my goodness. You're like, oh, my God, you're like my new best friend. I see you every day. <laughs> That's exactly right. It's um, you, you do become best friends and it's almost like um, after the birth of my daughter, it's like, here's a carrot cake. Thank you. I know it's not much, but take the cake. <laughs> you kind of feel like a blush. of like, what else can I buy you? What's for Christmas, <laughs> et cetera? You've given me this amazing gift and, um, yeah, you really do create such beautiful bonds. But... I went to him. He obviously requested I um, have several additional tests um, on top of that. So I had both um, an internal and an external ultrasound. Um, we did the blood tests again and those types of things. So um, it was during that process that they picked up um, some endometriosis. So um, fast forward an additional couple of months and um, I had my endometriosis procedure. I was probably naive to what I was expecting to happen after <laughs> that surgery. I literally went in with my handbag and I guess kind of a change of undies. Um, I wasn't expecting that I was going to be checked in for the night and um, needed somebody to bring me an emergency toothbrush and some pyjamas. So <laughs> I was really like ready to be, you know, I got dropped off at 7am in the morning um, and I was kind of expected to you know check out at 2 p.m because as per previous let's procedures that's kind of what happens it's just really quick day surgery unfortunately um this procedure was um a little bit larger than um than what I was expecting so that did play um I guess a bit of a, a toll on my mental health I wasn't expecting that there would be um as much endometriosis across various parts of my body Um, They also did um, a really amazing flush and um, the dyes and everything. And to be honest, I think that that's probably what enabled me to fall pregnant so quickly afterwards. Um, I don't think without that beautiful clean of all of my my internal organs down there, um, I would have fallen pregnant um, so quickly. And I know friends who have had similar procedures have fallen pregnant within kind of like a three to six month period after that surgery. So I absolutely credit that. However, at that point in time, when you're sitting in hospital at 6pm and you haven't had any visitors (laughs) because you weren't expecting to, um, to still be in hospital, it really it was a really challenging time for me. I remember just sitting in my hospital bed crying and crying and crying. And I was like, it was was quite awful. But um, I look back now and I'm like, it's probably all of those hormones that they've um, been messing with to kind of get everything on the right track. Well, I have Um, to say when I had that, I had endo removed and I also had the flush, but that was back with my ex. And so it was a day procedure, but I guess he was there. So I didn't if I was doing that by myself at the beginning, it would be quite overwhelming. But by the time I got to doing things by myself, I'd already been through so much. So, yeah, it must have been pretty tough to go, oh, my God, what about yeah. we're here? Yeah, correct. And um, my mum is the most incredible support and I'm so incredibly lucky that she literally lives around the corner from me. And um, it was just really unfortunate that she was um, working all day but she works at the same hospital that I was having my procedure but unfortunately her job she was unable to kind of abandon her own patients to come down and see me Um, and she had quite a few complex um, 
complex patients that day. So when she did finally get to see me, it was seven o'clock at night and I'd been kind of sitting <laughs> in, in that kind of hospital recovery area um, since 2 p.m. So you're just sitting there with your own thoughts and <laughs> and basically your iPhone with your headphones, um, <laughs> catching up on some really terrible Netflix TV shows. <laughs> so that was really then made me go, okay, well, I really do need to um, to start, I guess, this procedure quite quickly. Um, prior to that, I was required and um, many people who go through the same process are required to undertake psychological and counselling mm -hmm. um, as part of the process. So um, for me to do that, and that's just to make sure that you are mentally sound in case something does happen if you fall pregnant and um, um, you're um, one of the unfortunate people where um you're unable to either um, conceive or you have miscarriages. So um, it's really, I guess, that process was quite important as well. So after that surgery, I was able to go and speak to somebody and just say, look, this is kind of how I felt. Is that kind of the feelings that I might get if I I was to have um, a situation where I'm unsuccessful with um, the conception process, et cetera. So, uh, yeah, so after that, um, chatting with the doctor, Unfortunately, I was very different to Alicia in a sense. I know when you were choosing a, an appropriate donor. So my donor um, is part of the US sperm, sperm program mm -hmm. um, and that's connected with my fertility clinic. Um, I chose an international donor for a few reasons. One, and this is going to sound completely strange, but there are very limited Australian donors here. <laughs> so um, I was very mindful that if my daughter during her dating years, um, et cetera, was to meet somebody of a similar, <laughs> um, who had undergone a similar, I guess, life journey to her, um, I was mindful that there could have been that potential connection, et cetera. Obviously, she has the opportunity to meet and find out um, about her, her donor siblings um, in the future as part of the program. I just was very mindful that um, I wanted to protect her as much as I could in that space. So I decided to go with um, a donor from the US. Um, he had a very beautiful story in a sense that his sister um, had fertility issues and so that was one of the reasons why he decided to, um, to be a donor. And for me, I think that that was really important, along with other other things such as um, he was athletic and those types of things. But there are a lot of things that I really look for um, generally mm -hmm. um, in a person, so particularly if I'm dating and those types of things, and he had a lot of those qualities. I'm not sure about you, but my particular donor clinic, they don't share photos or um, baby pictures or anything like that. I know there are a couple in Sydney um, that do share some basic photos um, of when they're young. Yeah. Um, I think I've only heard of one place where they've shared um, a picture of an adult. But for me, I really wanted to go on this journey on my own. Yes. So I actually didn't tell any of my friends um oh, wow. they knew they knew I was looking into it but I didn't actually tell them when I was going to do it so yeah. um I just didn't want to have that I guess added pressure of have you done it have you done it how'd you go etc so I um reserved all of that information and kept that very close to my chest obviously I told my immediate family so my parents or my mum um and just said look this is what's happening um just to make sure that she was all okay. But I actually didn't include her in choosing um, a particular donor as well. For me, I felt like it was really, really important that um, the decision was solely based on my decision, not um, with, um, I guess, some added biases of um, friends and family. Everyone looks at different qualities in people. So I wanted to make sure that um, I was listening truly to the qualities that I wanted and, um, or the qualities I look for, I should say, um, when it came to choosing my particular donor. So, did you uh, have a lot of donors to look through when you were going through? Because I've, I've wanted a couple of reference of an Australian one, but if you're going through a US yeah. bank, did you have like thousands to choose from, or hundreds? Or? I wouldn't say thousands. <laughs> <laughs> um, there were there were quite a few. Um, however, you, there's also different ethnicities. So, um, if you think about people, um, I guess all over the world. Uh, fertility issues aren't specific to Australians or, or US. There are a lot of people of different cultures and different backgrounds who, who struggle to have a baby and whether that be, um, they, they're definitely in relationships as well or not, or they could be single parents too. So um, 
there, there was those. So I basically filtered, obviously, I looked for the particular um, qualities that I was after. Mm-hmm. Um, but I did have to choose three. So, um, and reserve three. So when you put that information through, you have to, um, there's no guarantee you're going to get your, your first preference. And I'm not sure if you've had a similar experience in the past, but um, I know that there have been other friends that have had to choose three and they may not have gotten their first preference. I was really lucky. Um, I got my first preference, which was um, incredible. And so they kept that under lock and key until I was ready to go in and have my um, have my um, my procedure done. So I'm not sure if I let you know previously, and I definitely haven't mentioned it as part of the podcast. So I didn't do IVF for my first round. Okay. So six weeks after my um, endometriosis procedure, I um, did IUI. So yeah. it was a nice subtle way for me to, I guess, get into the process of, okay, this is what's, um, what could happen. So I, one, financially, I just wanted to give it a go before I jump straight into IVF because obviously IVF, there is a lot more uh, interference with your hormones, et cetera. Mm-hmm. So I um, just thought, look, I'm going to ease my way into it. And I was incredibly lucky. So my doctor and I, before um, I had my procedure and then obviously my first period afterwards, <laughs> Um, we were very specific and monitoring um, everything that we did. So I downloaded this really lovely app on my phone. Um, unfortunately, I can't remember it off the top of my head, but I can share that information. You can include it in your showreel. Um, but I basically was tracking my period for almost 12 months out of, um, I guess, prior to yeah. actually um, the procedure. So it was really important. And so my doctor, and then obviously after blood tests and all of the other variety of tests, they're able to kind of really um, pinpoint when <laughs> um, when you're ovulating and when's the best time for that procedure. So I went in nervous. Um, again, I didn't. I told my mum the night before. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and then I went in and then obviously let her know um, afterwards because it's quite a an interesting process. It, it's Look, I don't. I think a lot of people think, "Oh, you're going into like this white room and it's really sterile," and it's kind of like, "No, it's not like that at all. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's quite relaxed. You've got um, your nurses there. It's all, you know, it's it's very relaxed process." So, um, I did a natural um, IUI, which is probably the lowest possible chance of uptake um, out of the three um, potential IUIs. So there's the natural, um, the second one is, I think it's a cycle based. I wrote it down here. Um, medical cycles. So that's where you can take some medication to um, assist you. So that's an oral um, process. And then the third one is um, an injection based. Um, that's where you'll have an injection the night before. Um, you go in just to make sure that you've got because there's a really finite kind of period um, for insemination. It's, you don't realize it's, how hard it is to get pregnant until you actually try to get pregnant, do you? That's right. There's like four hours that it's like okay, within those four hours, you need to um, to go in and have your procedure. So I I was very fortunate. I must have nailed those four hours <laughs> with my doctor. It was a perfect science, um, and we went in and. Um, yeah, so I had the procedure. I came home. I, I wasn't working that day. I um, I took that day off and I just kind of came home and relaxed. Um, that morning I took my dog. I kind of followed my same routine anyway. I took my dog for a beautiful walk along the beach and then came home and um, relaxed. And then two weeks later I was like, oh, okay, my period's coming. I've got really sore boobs. They're sore than normal, like, gosh, like clearly that didn't work. I've still got after effects happening from my hormone changes, maybe um, from my endosurgery. I was just a little bit disappointed. I was like, oh, look, it didn't happen, but maybe I wasn't ready. Maybe Prince Charming's just around the corner. Um, Because surprisingly not, I actually went on a date with somebody um, the month before, (laughs) but it didn't work out. Um, and I kind of went on a date with him and I was having my procedure the following week, but obviously that's not something you're going to say on a date, right? (laughs) Oh, I might get pregnant next week, not to you. That's right. (laughs) (laughs) It's definitely not something that you're going to say. So, um, fortunately, we decided not to pursue that just, it was kind of a mutual, I'm not going to contact you. You're not going to contact me. It's fine. (laughs) 
um so at that stage I was kind of like oh well maybe look I haven't had a had I, I haven't fallen pregnant etc and then probably a week later because I was sporting so I had really sore boobs and I was sporting so I was thinking okay look, my hormones are just really playing up, something weird's going on. And it wasn't for another week and a half after, so I would have been three and a half weeks. Um, my doctor, because I actually, my doctor contacted me and he's like, how are you feeling? What's going on, et cetera. And I was like, oh, I, I think I've got my period. So, you know, it didn't work <laughs> kind yeah. of thing. And they're like, all right, do you want to come in for some blood tests and whatnot? So I was like, oh, yeah, um, I'll do that. So that was the kind of the following week but I was like you know what look I just feel a bit weird so I took a pregnancy test and lo and behold I was pregnant but it was a huge shock because I honestly didn't think I was pregnant I honestly it's thought amazing I was just, you weren't pregnant so I was like oh my goodness I've I'm pregnant so then I had to call my mom like I called my mom and I was like mom can you just come over for a minute and she's like I'm going to the hairdressers and I'm like I just really need you to come over just five minutes it's all I need yeah. <laughs> so she came over and um and she's like no I, I think you're pregnant and I'm like okay well what do yay. I, do? <laughs> I know like I kind of didn't really know what to do I was like okay but I, I think I was still in shock because I was convinced I had my period like yeah. I was 100% convinced I had my period and I was just like it's tricking me it's not it's not accurate but I was really fortunate that I had seen my, I'd spoken to my doctor and I was booked in to go and see him to get blood tests. Yeah. So um, that, that coming week. So um, just to, and he was also going to do a few additional ones just from a, an account perspective again after the surgery. So, so planning for the next cycle because you obviously weren't. That's right. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. So uh, we went in and we got all of the blood tests. <laughs> And, um, yeah, I was, I was really fortunate enough that I was pregnant. So that being really, really early on. So obviously (laughs) couldn't tell anyone. And obviously I had 40th birthdays. I had (laughs) all the big parties that it's like, oh, why are you not, um, drinking and and doing all of that? the, The antibiotics excuse or that I'm focusing on my health excuse. I was like, oh, my hormones are still a little bit out of whack following my endo surgery. So I used the health excuse. Yes, yes. Um, and, and look, you know, I, I'm really interested in planning for a baby in the future. So I'm just getting my body in its best physical and possible shape that it could be in <laughs> before I um, um, before I do that. So look, I got away with it, to be honest, <laughs> uh, for several weeks. So um, at eight weeks, uh, you go in and you get your beautiful little scans. And it was so exciting because I was flying to Canberra that night to see my brother, yeah. um, his wife and my nephew, because my nephew was turning one, which was really, really exciting. And my best friend uh, was in Sydney and she was driving over. So obviously these were COVID times. Mm-hmm. Um so things were, I guess, really, really challenging in terms of getting people and seeing people and, and all of that sort of stuff. So my eight-week scan, everything was looking good. My little snow pea was was in there um, just moving around. At this stage, I decided not to find out the gender of my baby Okay. throughout the whole process. Um, and it was a real surprise when she came out because I was convinced I was having a boy. <laughs> um, but my 12-week scan... Um, really created a lot of anxiety for me. So at my 12-week scan, um, some of the results came back. Um, So this is the nuchal scan. So um, it is um, by choice. It's not the most cheap scan. It's about five, $600. But it is really important, particularly for people who are over kind of the 34-ish age (laughs) um, to get this because it does identify if there's any kind of, um, I guess, key illnesses um, at that stage. So at that particular scan, um, when you look at that and kind of the blood tests, I was kind of in a range of 1 to 28, um, so 1 in 28 chance of having a Down syndrome Mm -hmm. um, child. So that really affected me in a sense that I knew that I would always, if if my baby was going to be Down syndrome, I was convinced that, yes, I was still going to have my child. Um, But it did make me think, okay, this may be the only child that I have. So I um, work in aged care and disability. So, um, and in my previous roles, I've had a lot to do um, with people in disability, particularly Down syndrome. So I was very familiar with, um, with Down syndrome. So 
I, I really had to process what that meant for my life and also what that meant for my child's life as well. Um, there was no doubt that I was definitely going to have her. She, she was going to always be mine, but it was, there's a lot of other considerations that you need to think about at that stage. Mm. So, um, having those results, we then took some more tests, um, afterwards just to check, um, what was going on. I opted not to do the test where they actually put the needle through, um, to take some of the, yes, to take some of the amniotic fluid, um, to test that because that, is a greater risk of actually creating greater harm to the child. So I chose not to do that, but I chose to do um, several other tests. Um, fortunately, um, those other tests indicated that she was okay. However, I potentially could be a candidate for preeclampsia. <laughs> so, you know, so at 12 weeks, I was planning on telling everybody that I was pregnant being my other friends. So I'd only told um, two friends, um, my parents and my brother. So I had not told um, my grandmother, I'd not told work, I'd literally not told um, anybody what I was going through. So, and at that stage, I was um, working in aged care and disability during um, the starts of COVID. Mm. So um, in marketing, so a lot of the stuff was um, a little bit stressful, but I, I really feel like my um, attention was focused on the baby. So it actually created a lot of calm for me at work, which is quite ironic considering my, my personal life was quite stressful at that point in time. But um, yeah, even though there was chaos happening in the world and chaos happening in my personal life at work, I felt like I was kind of a pretty smooth, <laughs> a, a smooth boat on, on crazy weird. seas. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I went back in and um, my doctor, so this is still at um, 12 weeks. So they don't normally really kind of diagnose preeclampsia or potentially um, have you, um, I guess, mitigate some of the risk to developing preeclampsia later on until about 16 to 20 weeks. So I actually started on aspirin um, at 12, at 12 and a half weeks or 13 weeks, I think it was. So that's quite early on in your pregnancy to, to start to be treated for that um, as well. I was really lucky my blood pressure never spiked um, throughout my pregnancy, um, which is remarkable, but every week you're going in and you're getting your blood pressure tested um, just to make sure, obviously, um, those that don't know uh, much about preeclampsia it's all around um, blood pressure mm -hmm. um, and your blood pressure can um, really spike and that can actually have some really um, significant impacts particularly during um, I guess when you're going through labor um, and the birth period so often people either have cesareans just because the doctors can then control um, that environment yeah. I yeah I'm not sure did you have preeclampsia at all or no I didn't luckily <laughs> yeah um and so it's all about controlling but you can get um thick blood so that's why my doctor decided to treat me with aspirin um at an earlier stage so yeah from about 13 weeks I was on, on aspirin um I'm also a vegetarian so my iron levels are not great so at the same time I was on aspirin and um a high dose of iron <laughs> at that stage to kind of you know keep me as healthy as possible um for when the baby came out so I didn't have, I guess, a birth plan. I know a lot of my friends, so I had a few friends that were pregnant and they're like, oh, I'm going to do this and I'm going to do that. And before I was pregnant, I'm like, I'm definitely having a Caesar. Um, like my body's not made for pushing out a baby, et cetera, et cetera. <laughs> and then when I fell pregnant, it was a really different kind of mindset. <laughs> so I um, was like, no, I'm going to have a natural, a natural birth but I'm definitely going to have an epidural. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I just, time ticked along and again, didn't find out. But after, I guess, those initial terrifying few weeks of, oh my goodness, um, what's my life going to look like? And what's my child's life going to look like? Um, things became much calmer. I was able to communicate to friends. I do remember there was probably... Um, Three weeks prior to me having the procedure, I, I went out and had a really big night and I basically brought like 18 cocktails for all of my friends. And they were like, Kaylee, it's like nine o'clock, we're all going home. I'm like, no, we're having cocktails. We're, we're out here. We're going to have a great time. 
me obviously knowing full well that that's probably going to be the last time I'll be drinking for a long period of time. Um, But all of my friends being like, oh my gosh, if I knew Carl, so Carl is my um, alter ego um, when I go out and have a good time. If I knew, if they knew Carl was coming out, I think they probably would have (laughs) kicked into overdrive, but they just weren't prepared for it that night, which is understandable. Um, And then, yeah, obviously, 12 weeks later, I let them know that I was having a baby and they're like, oh, it all makes sense now. (laughs) That's why you wanted such a big night. Ah. That's right. Um, Yeah, so it's been, um, the rest of my pregnancy was pretty good. Like everyone is incredibly supportive. Obviously, I have a lot of um, single female friends Mm -hmm. um, and I have a lot of um, friends that are in couples or married, et cetera. I've got quite a lot of, uh, quite a diverse mix of um, friends and, and people I spend a lot of time with. So, I found it really interesting, uh, particularly when I would go to coupled um, events and catch-ups. It was always the men that were very nervous of asking questions, but they were always the most curious. And I'm not sure if you found that in your environments as well. It's like, how does it work? What do you get to know? Um, (laughs) I had a lot of them suddenly get very protective before they knew that it was a donor, but the fact that they knew that I didn't have a partner, I was having a baby, and they're like, you know, who should we go deal with? And it's like, no, 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 this is intentional. (laughs) Yeah, that's right. And it's all like, and they used to be like, oh, wow, you're so brave. And for me, I'm like, this isn't bravery. This is something that I've always wanted, and this is, you know, going out and, um, and making your dreams come true kind of thing. You don't need to allow for, yes, it's an incredible miracle, but it's not like, you know, you're you're jumping on and and something's happened without your knowledge. This is, you've created, prepared, and you've done everything possible to make sure it happened. (laughs) There is no accident here. This is the No, that's right. The world, yes. (laughs) Yeah, that's right. But I, I did find like, uh, during my pregnancy, it was always the men. Like everyone always wants to ask questions and I'm I'm an open book. If you have questions, just, just ask and I will tell you what I feel comfortable with telling you. Um, and there's other information that I'm going to keep um, confidential into myself, obviously a lot around um, the donor, et cetera. Mm-hmm. But, um, yeah, it was always the men that were very cautious, but they were the most curious, which I always, I've, I found that really uh, interesting (laughs) throughout my journey. (laughs) Um, So, yeah, then um, I guess kind of nine months ticked along and um, there was a few of um, us that were having babies. So one of my very close friends um, was down in Victoria and the day she called to tell me she was pregnant, I was actually planning on telling her (laughs) that we were pregnant. She's like... I've got some news. And I was like, oh, my gosh, she's going to tell me she's pregnant. And I'm like, I've got news too. Is your news the same as my news? Yay. So um, that was really incredible because we were kind of like a week or two apart. So I was ahead by um, I think it was about a week and a half Mm -hmm. um, to her. So all of our kind of, um, I guess, development milestones whilst we were pregnant were very aligned. So I was like, did you have this or what's happening here? Um, which is really, really incredible. And I actually had my baby moon um, with her. So we went down to Tasmania and um, had a wonderful weekend just before Easter, the beginning of um, 2021, which is really, really nice. And um, then came home. But she um, had a few challenges herself with her pregnancy and she ended up having an emergency Caesar two weeks prior to me having Ottilie. And um, I was always convinced I was going to have my baby first. (laughs) I know. So when she um, had her baby, I was like, okay, well, my baby has to come tomorrow. Like she can't have a baby (laughs) much sooner than me. Like, but this is not how everything works. And so two weeks is still ticking on and I'm like getting absolutely huge. Like I was the biggest I've ever been in my life, obviously having a baby, but I was just like, I I can't sleep. I can't even roll over. I can't put my shoes on. (laughs) It's hard enough to put the lead on the dog to take her walking. (laughs) Yeah, slow walk Um, by that point, yeah. That's that's right. And then um, the day, so I was 39 weeks and five days. Mm-hmm. So the day that I um, was going in to speak to my doctor to be like, all right, let's do kind of like a, um, not um, an induction, but can you kind of do a, sweat, a stretch and sweep? So that kind of allows um, women to kind of bring on a natural labour. 
uh, my waters broke and I was so excited you honestly so that morning before I was going in for my appointment my waters broke and I was like all right so I think I mentioned earlier I'm a bit OCD I'm a bit Mm -hmm. cray cray so (laughs) as soon as my waters broke I was like all right this is the last time I can get my house in tip-top shape so I got up I vacuumed I mopped I scrubbed the shower and I don't know if other women do this um but I just was like all right did you do it (laughs) I was an induction though so I knew that that day I could get it done my water hadn't just (laughs) yeah whereas I was like okay it's time to really give this house a good polish because no one else is going to do it while I'm in hospitals (laughs) I did absolutely everything then I got up I called my mum and she's like all right do I need to come home and you know take you to the hospital and I was like no no you're right look I'm feeling fine the doctor says I don't need to go in yet I'll just call the midwife and let them know um so I had a shower um mum came and picked me up we went and got coffee (laughs) we drove into the hospital kind of walked in um and they're like yep your waters have definitely broken you're gonna have a baby today and I was like excellent (laughs) you have a contractions by that point because it all sounds very relaxed oh a few but nothing like hardcore just yet and then within the next so this is so my waters broke at kind of six in the morning Mm -hmm. um and then by nine o'clock my contractions had really kicked in so I kind of got to the hospital at like 8 (laughs) 30 so my contractions were kicked in but still it was kind of like ah and I was like oh it's a lovely view everyone's really nice it's a great birth suite um and because my mum works at that hospital she was rostered off to not be working, but she just can't help herself. So up she goes to level four, um, which is her ward. And she's like, oh, my, my daughter's in labor. And everyone's like, are you meant to not just be down there? You're her support person. Like, <laughs> what are you doing? And I'm like, you're my support person. The midwives are coming in and telling me stuff. Now I have to relay it to you. Um, by kind of midday, my contractions are pretty intense. And I was like, okay, let's, uh, let's, get the anaesthetist I need an epidural yeah and um kind of by one o'clock the epidural was in kicked in so I was fortunate enough that I went through private health insurance mm-hmm. um I'd kind of been planning to have a baby for a very long time and because I'd had other let's procedures um I'd kind of had my fertility included in my health insurance since I was probably early 20s so I've been paying for it for a very long time <laughs> um but absolutely um, recommend going through private health insurance if you can um, for the birth experience because I had the most incredible birth, like the most incredible. And I, I don't want to brag, but I literally had lasagna an hour before I started to push my baby out. Like, I don't think that's normal. <laughs> had lunch after my epidural and then um, kind of relaxed through um, the day. And then um, in the afternoon at 5.30, the midwife's like, all right, have your dinner. I'm going to have my dinner. And then as soon as you're done, you're kind of ready and we're going to start to push. And then an hour from pushing, out came my beautiful baby. (laughs) And I was like, oh, wow. Um, I forgot to ask what I had. Like, I'm not sure. You knew what you were having. I knew I was having, yeah. Um, But... I absolutely had no idea what I was having um, at that point in time. So the baby came out and I was just so excited. I had this beautiful little thing on my chest. I was like, oh, this is amazing. And then like two seconds later, I was like, oh, what did, what did I have? They're like, oh, it's a girl. I was like, oh, great. <laughs> Thank you. Um, and I, but again, I was like, are you sure it's a girl? Because I was sure I was having a boy. <laughs> The amount of people that are convinced that it's a boy and it ends up being a girl, but it never seems to be the way around, which is interesting. Yeah, no, it was, um, so it was truly incredible. And I guess that first night, like holding your baby on your chest for the first time, having them weigh her and um, go through, this is what the umbilical cord looks like, et cetera. It's all, I guess, surreal at that point in time, because it's like, I've been carrying you for nine months, but you just don't expect I guess what those first moments are or those first hours, well, that first night's going to be like as well. Like it's truly, truly incredible. Um, despite the fact that you have an epidural and then you can hardly walk after giving birth and they're like, we need to shower you, we need to make sure that you can stand, et cetera. I'm telling um, you now, I can't stand, but okay. 
Yeah. Yeah. But you're just kind of in your own little love bubble of, um, wow, I created this. She looked absolutely nothing like me when she came out. She had jet black hair Mm -hmm. and the donor had brown hair and blue eyes. Um, She had jet black hair, didn't look like me at all. (laughs) And I was like, oh, my goodness. (laughs) Is this this the right baby? Did we have the right donor? (laughs) but um she was beautiful um like I you know you just fall in love with your baby as soon as they come out and she was perfect like perfect little face it wasn't squished too much and yeah I just fell in love but she was a big baby she was 3.79 kilos um well I didn't feel it so a lot of people did say ouch and I'm like look my epidural I didn't feel a thing I felt kind of exhausted pushing and that's about as as far as it went (laughs) So you had your beautiful little daughter once you worked out that she was actually a girl. How did you find, I guess, the first few weeks coming home with her all by yourself? Was it what you thought it was going to be? Look, I think, um, so I was fortunate enough that I got to stay into hospital for four days. So definitely they teach you a lot of things when you're in hospital. And I'm very, very thankful for that. Um, I had the most incredible midwives there. Um, my milk didn't come in straight away. So my milk came in probably on day six. Um, I didn't do any kind of the colostrum stuff before um, having the baby. Um, Some of my friends did, but I, I just couldn't produce anything. So while my boobs were getting full and sore and heavy, there's just not a lot of milk coming out. So I, um, I ended up having to trial a little bit of formula at the same time as breastfeeding just at the very beginning for her, um, which was a huge help um, because it just, I knew that she was being okay, et cetera. Um, The hospital was really interesting because you're in this amazing kind of environment, but it's also you kind of wake up to everybody else's babies crying at the same time in the hospital rooms, uh, which can be a little bit distressing. And there were some babies in there um, that required the suction um, when they were coming out. So they had, I guess, a little bit of a headache, a little bit of trauma, which would have been um, a bit challenging for them. So coming home, look, I was a little bit terrified. And so my mum decided to stay for the first two nights. She was absolutely no help at nighttime. Great during the day. Yeah. But um, <laughs> at that time when she woke up and cried and whatnot, like she'd come in, she'd be like, oh, you've got this. You're fine. <laughs> and I'd go back into into the spare room and I'm like, okay. <laughs> yeah. So um so look, I was like, you just go home and um, if you can look after my dog at your place, mm-hmm. um, that would be um, a massive relief um, for me because my dog has an incredibly piercing bark at 5am in the morning and I was like, still to this day, I'm like, mum, can I just leave my dog with you? I'll come over and walk her, um, but I just, I can't have her wake the baby up at 5am. <laughs> it's just, um, it wouldn't be fair to her or I. <laughs> So I'd become kind of like um, a gorilla, I think, um, quite a beast at, what are you doing? Stop barking. Keep the noise down. The baby's here. So, look, I think I was in my love bubble. So, yeah, it was kind of hard, but I had kind of sleep issues anyway prior to having the baby. And then obviously when I was pregnant, I could never sleep because I was so uncomfortable in bed. So, to be honest, the adjustment wasn't as awful as what other people had said. Like, I think in my mind, I'd really worked it up like, oh, I'm going to be so sleep deprived. I won't be able to leave the house. Like, I won't know myself. I'm going to be in my pajamas all the time. Like, literally that first, like, week, I left the house every single day. So it was great to, like, get out and take her for a walk. Um, I didn't mention during my birth, I did have to have an episiotomy. So I um, had to have that and that ended up getting a little bit of scar tissue um, as part of the, I guess, healing process. So that was quite painful probably for the first six weeks after giving birth. Um, So I ended up having to go and get that cut out under local anesthetic. So that was the first time I actually had to leave my baby (laughs) for a longer period of time with somebody else um, to get the scar tissue cut out. But as soon as that was cut out, it was was great. But I guess that first time leaving the baby, not with my mum, (laughs) because normally if I needed to leave her, even if it was just for half an hour, et cetera, just so I could shower and, I don't know, blow dry my hair or something. Um, But I actually had to leave her with a family friend, which was totally fine and and she's a grandmother, et cetera, but it's still quite terrifying. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And it's like, oh, I'm just going to check on you. 
Um, but yeah, but honestly, I know, I, and I have a, a reasonably easy baby. She had a lot of reflux. Um, so I continued to kind of breastfeed and provide reflux formula to her just so I knew that she was still putting on weight and just to keep a little bit more of the milk down because every two seconds I was like, oh my gosh, there's just spew everywhere. Oh. <laughs> um, and you, you kind of feel a bit sad for them because it's, it hurts them. Well, they say it doesn't, but I think it does. Like it wouldn't be pleasant, you know, um, to, to throw things up constantly um, after every meal. So um, we kept her on that, but it was kind of bliss, like not working, to be honest. I was like, oh my gosh, I can actually switch my brain off and um, just really enjoy this time with my baby and I. Um, my brother came up from Canberra, which was really lovely. And all my friends were able to meet her and um, I was a little bit specific, so I didn't want anybody um, to meet her that hadn't had the whooping cough vaccination. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I'm not against anyone who chooses not to vaccinate their children. That was just a choice that I made, and I just wanted to make sure that uh, when it came time to people visiting her, touching her, et cetera, that, um, that they were vaccinated against um, whooping cough at that stage. So... Yeah, um, and then as soon as she got all of her, like her whooping cough vaccination and some of her other, um, I guess, basic ones, I'm like, yeah, meet the world. (laughs) Let's go out and see everybody. Um, I was really lucky. I had a mutual friend who um, introduced me to another lady that literally lives just around the corner from me. Um, And we've become really, really good friends because she had her baby four weeks before I did. And so... It was, it was really nice during those first, I guess, few weeks because we'd be like, all right, let's go for a walk. So we're kind of each other's motivation to get out of the house, go and socialise, um, but then also bounce ideas. Is this happening to you? What are you doing about that? Um, which is really nice. There was um, an opportunity for us to kind of join a mother's group and those types of things through um, our hospital. Yeah. And I didn't um do that I was connected to that same mother's group through another person that um had birth um had birthed her son um at the same hospital so that's kind of how we connected and we caught up with quite a few new mums at that stage too yeah the first few weeks that it's um it's really interesting and you think how fragile your baby is so I was terrified to change her or put her in like anything other than a onesie that had a zip from head to toe Um, because I was like oh I can't put a jumper on her so I can't pull it over her head I can't do this and I I gave birth in winter so unfortunately that yes okay the Gold Coast it doesn't like really get too cold but oh my goodness I was like no just the onesies the really great onesies (laughs) Um, and she never wanted to sleep in a sleep suit So I had to kind of work out the best possible way to keep her warm (laughs) in the middle of winter, not in a sleep suit. Um, And there's this really great kind of um, blanket that's got Velcro over it. So you kind of Velcro them in. (laughs) Um, Yeah, it was a bit like a taco. It's like, oh, and you were the stuffing in the middle. (laughs) So she's nine months old now, is it? Yeah, so she's nine months old now and we're going through the really fun stage of teething. (laughs) So um, she's just starting to cut her first two teeth. So the first tooth, she... um, she, what, there was only one terrible night. Her second tooth, there's probably been a week (laughs) of, um, of ups and downs and, yeah, a little... Like, it's, it's not awful. It's just been, um... It was kind of going back to that newborn stage where she's awake every few hours. But in this instance, she doesn't like to be laid laid flat. She wants to be upright and bounced basically the whole night. And it's like, you're not light anymore. You're not <laughs> like a newborn. You're nine kilos. It's um, <laughs> it's not that easy when mum is tired. So still <laughs> early days, but do you think looking back, if there's anything you would do differently or anything that you think would be really good advice for anyone considering this journey? Yeah, so I constantly get asked whether or not I've, re- um, I guess, reserved um, donors, the same donor um, because I'm very big that I want to... 
I'm very big that I want to have a second, a second baby. I would really love for her to have a sibling. Um, just if, if anything was to happen to me, I really want to make sure, yes, she's got my, my mother and her cousins and, and whatnot, but I would really want her to have a sibling. So um, I definitely plan on going back um, to have another one, but obviously if I'm successful in that space um, again, um, we'll, we'll just have to wait and see. But I, w- I really would like to have a second one. Would I change anything? I don't think so. I think I went through my pregnancy very calm. Um, despite that initial stress, I, I was quite calm through my pregnancy. I think it's because of something that I really, really wanted. So I just wanted to make sure that I was calm because if I'm calm, my baby's going to be calm. <laughs> Um, and that's kind of, I guess, my approach to what I did. So that's why I didn't want to put too much pressure on, okay, what's the birth going to be like? Because I I didn't want to have an expectation and then be disappointed. I just really wanted to enjoy my journey the whole way through. And, um, yeah, I, I don't have any, any different suggestions. I really do think that it's important for people to, um, be open-minded about the process that they have to have counselling and um, that sort of stuff. So for me, I was kind of like, why would I need this? Like how ridiculous. People in couples, they don't have to do this. Yeah. Now I actually think they probably should. I'm like anyone who has a baby really should actually go and get <laughs> counselling um, collectively and um, on their own. So um, I definitely think, and I think it just prepares you for a million things. As I said, like in those that first 12 to 16 months, I was really, um, 16 weeks, um, when I was uncertain as to um, any kind of, I guess, health conditions that she might have had, I um, I just wanted to make sure um, that I knew how to handle that situation and I guess having that person to talk to, that's not necessarily your family, is really, really important. We've got the most gorgeous little guest that has joined us. And she's a massive distraction, but she's so gorgeous. Hello. Hello. <laughs> she's um, She wants to be part of it. She's, oh, my goodness, at daycare. She, I'm, I'm told she's the child that chats the most. She's the youngest <laughs> baby in the room. So I had to start her um, at daycare, just obviously going back to work. Um, I started back at nine months. So mm-hmm. this was my first week back at work. But... Um, most daycares they only have kind of one or two intakes per year so one kind of at the very beginning of the year and the other kind of um halfway through unfortunately um we couldn't do the halfway through the year process because I obviously needed to go back to work after my maternity leave um ran out from both work and um the government and um had to go back so when she started daycare she was seven months old and I was just like oh my gosh she's just so small (laughs) to be starting daycare all the other kids were um were much larger um and they were crawling and some of them were walking and she's like I'm just sitting here like a little blob blob, yeah (laughs) yeah um but she's but literally like this past week they're like oh my goodness she's quite the chatterbox and I was like I know she's um, from (laughs) I know definitely from me um, but she's really confident, which I don't know. Um, like I'm a reasonably confident person, but I feel like she's even more confident than I am <laughs> um, with various things, which I think is a really, really beautiful trait. And I hope that she continues that confidence throughout um, throughout her life. I think that's really, really important. Um, at daycare, I'm, I am really um, open with my journey. I think I'm the only one at daycare at the moment who has um, gone through this process. So um, as part of the About Me booklets where you have to talk about your family, um, et cetera, and and, um, about our families, um, who are the key people in our family for us, I make sure um, that everybody knows that she, um, I'm a single mother by choice and um, and we use that language around her as well. So I, it's not that she doesn't have a dad. I said for Father's Day she'll still celebrate Father's Day but it will be for Grandpa. Right. <laughs> so yeah. there'll be um, a few different things that she will, um, she'll be involved in that might be a little bit different but I'd want her to be um 
I guess know that she can still celebrate all of those things even if her family looks just a little bit different to others. Um, it doesn't mean that she's different. It just means that um, our family makeup's different. But to be honest, there are so many modern families these days. Um, yeah. And I think if anyone ever looks down on you they're really just not your people and <laughs> um if that's their biggest concern in life then they're um <laughs> they're really missing out on some wonderful things <laughs> such a great way to put it yeah well I'll, I'll let you go and be with your gorgeous little girl it's so nice Thank to be you. on the podcast as well unfortunately yeah. our, list, our listeners only get to hear it they don't get to see it but I get that special yeah. privilege um, <laughs> So if there's anything else you just want to say, anyone who's considering this on parting? Yeah, absolutely. I think you always have a little bit of fear um, and I think that's only natural, but I think I would much rather conquer my fear um, than live with regret. So um, I know a lot of people, I have friends as well, that chose not to to go down this journey and, and I completely respect and understand that. But I think if it's from fear, um, then that is, it, it makes me really sad because I would much rather face my fear and be unsuccessful than to not face my fear and truly live with um, regret, um, knowing that um, I could have done something and I chose not to. What wonderful words yeah. to end. Thank you so much for talking to us today. I can't wait for everyone to hear the story. You're welcome. Thanks very much for your time. I really appreciate it. I'm Alicia and this is the No Need for Prince Charming podcast, bringing you stories of Australian solo mums who created their own happy ending. If you like what you heard, please follow or subscribe to make sure you don't miss out on future episodes and leave a like, a review or share with your friends to help others find it easier. Bye for now.